Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about happy things and happy people and joy and beauty and nothing is ever bad. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. Yes, it's wonderful and happy all the time. And all the time. That happens ever. All the time, everywhere. Oh my god. So how before we get into shit, uh how are you? <laughs> um well, <laughs> it depends. Um but in general, I'm okay. I had a great night last night with my mom. We went to um so every year for Labor Day other than obviously the last two years during COVID, um they the Hollywood Bowl, which is this beautiful amphitheater in Hollywood, will do an annual concert weekend there it's usually over labor day and he conducts the la philharmonic and they do music of the movies and sometimes he'll do tributes to other composers but a lot of the music is his own because you know he's so prolific in, in film scoring um and so last this this weekend the concert's happening it's been off for the last two years because of uh covid but um the man is 90 years old he did have a guest composer or conductor join him that's david newman who's part of that newman family um and uh so newman did the first the first section and then they did an intermission and then john williams came out and he did the whole second half and it was like um gosh what all did he do it was you know harry potter and then they did oh the olympic you know fanfare music with this whole presentation with that they played some stuff from Fiddler on the Roof because a lot of people don't realize that even though he didn't write the the music for Fiddler on the Roof originally, he adapted the score for the film. Wow. And yeah. And so um, in 1970. And so they did a whole bunch of excerpts from that. And then the whole last section, every time he always finishes it out with like three to four pieces from Star Wars, obviously. And there's... um there's so much music from star wars that he he always mixes up what they're gonna do but um they always end the show with star wars and so and then he usually will do an encore usually he does a couple of encores one time i they did four (laughs) but um i figured okay they'll come back and do one more you know because the man is old he's 90 (laughs) and uh but he came back and they did three encores it was crazy but the first one they did was actually from the new indiana jones movie and so we were the first audience to actually get to hear this particular piece of music so that was really cool um and i am still not totally ready to be excited for the new indiana jones movie but um the music was beautiful so anyway all together (laughs) it was just such a fun night and it just it's great to 
I think being under lockdown for two years, it just has made me, it made me really miss these opportunities. And mm-hmm. I was starting to not take, you know, not go to stuff as much for, for a while before the pandemic started, you know, it was like, I was so busy all the time. I didn't take these opportunities and post COVID now I'm like, yeah, I want to go to more theater. I want to go to more uh-huh. concerts, you know, stuff like that. So it was just really fun to, to get to do that. So that sounds great. Yeah. How have you been? How's your week? I've I've been pretty good. It's it was kind of a stressful, tiring week, but I got to go and hang out with one of my good friends in uh, in Manhattan yesterday. So that was fun. And then last night I watched Elvis, uh, which we were going to talk about a little bit later because I have feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, watched a couple of good movies this this week so far. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to some more. So. so to start us off, we wanted, or Karen wanted really, to talk about um, some certain things that have been going on in the Hollywood Critics Association. And for people who are not within the film Twitter universe, um, first of all, God bless you. Uh, stay away. Don't do it. But <laughs> I mean, that to yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so the, this is more like in internal film criticism stuff, right? Um, but so just, just to be clear, this is the Hollywood Critics Association, not the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Uh, I've heard a number of people who've confused the two and they're two separate organizations and do not have anything to do with each other. They just both happen to be embroiled in scandals. Yeah. They just both happen to have major (laughs) scandals going on right about now. But so there's an article that came out, um, in the Hollywood Reporter that is, is kind of, kind of gives a really good and very clear, at least for me, rundown of everything that has been going on, um, within the Hollywood Critics Association, which has basically led up to the, both the expelling of a number of members and a number of members, including the president, um, quitting the organization completely. So this has, I, we're going to link the article so you can kind of read the entire scandal, the entire rundown, all of the different quotes from different people um, and, and what they had to say about this. And to, so that, that gives, I think, probably the best explanation of everything that has been going on. But there have been discussions of, you know, where funds have gone, um, voting questions, um, questions about the treatment of members, et cetera. So this has been a major, major thing. Karen, you wanted to discuss this uh, because of your your uh, association with the Hollywood Critics Association. So take it away. What can you tell us? Ooh, uh, well, under the advice of attorneys, um, <laughs> I have to be a little bit careful what I say. <laughs> this is just, that's kind of terrifying. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, the attorney in this case is my brother, but still, I trust him. He's a very good lawyer. He has worked for very top firms, and this isn't like, you know, some, like, he's got his own shingle, and he just kind of doles out advice. Like, no, he knows what he's talking about, and I thoroughly trust him. Anyway, um, if you need a good uh, intellectual property lawyer, give me a call, and I will pass on his information. Anyway, um. So I do have to be careful what I say, and I really want to keep this discussion limited to my own personal experience as a now former member of the Hollywood Critics Association. I did resign my membership this week, um, and it was not because of the Hollywood Critic, or sorry, the Hollywood Reporter article, um, 
but once that article came out i felt like there was no more reason to stick around there were there were a few reasons that i didn't resign like a week or two ago but once that was out in the world and i kind of i knew it was coming for several days before it did um once it was out then it was just like okay now i can leave and so i did so i first joined hca in 2018 no sorry 2019 i had to think through it's been a while um and it was uh i was really excited it was something that i knew it was kind of a fledgling organization they had had two award shows you know they were in their third year and it, you know it was just it was exciting and i knew that there was a lot of work to do there was a lot of growth to do um but i was really excited for that opportunity to participate in building something that i felt really you know passionate about because it was it was you know a bunch i wanted to just be a movie nerd and be a movie nerd with other people in the area and like meet new friends that are film critics in la and you know and there was this big focus on diversity and really trying to make it this group that really embraced diversity and equity and inclusion not just in the industry but specifically among film critics and i know that there's lots of groups there's the aafca the african-american film critics there's leha for latino journalists there's the alliance of women film journalists which i'm also a member of um so there's lots of groups that that promote very specific targeted um critics and then there are other groups that are you know critics choice and stuff they have you know they have some diversity too but there was just something about hca's mission at the time it was called the los angeles online film critics society which was a whole other thing um but there was just something about it that i was really excited about and i really wanted to be part of and so i was really thrilled to join and in early 2020 they announced that they were at the time it had just mostly been run by scott menzel and his wife ashley and they were moving forward with appointing a president and a vice president and then a board of directors and they took you know volunteers who wants to be part of this board of directors and i was like well i do you know and i got selected and i was really excited about that because i thought wow he really means it like he really wants people to be involved and to help this organization grow and you know i have a lot of ex experience working with different types of nonprofit organizations different types of just you know groups like not a critics group specifically but similar types of organizations and similar sizes and so i was just really excited for for this you know and but of course that was early 2020 we had one meeting and then the pandemic happened and everything shut down and that was kind of it for the rest of that year and then in 2021 a couple of us pushed for like hey we need to get back on track we need to have board meetings we need to do some stuff and so we decided to have monthly board meetings and i also said we don't have bylaws for this organization we need bylaws and i have experience writing them and i would like to participate in that so i headed up a ad hoc committee we spent months working on the bylaws 
I was a little bit nervous when we went to present them to uh, the leadership because I thought, well, this is definitely decentralizing the authority of the group and making members more involved in the decision-making process, not just the board, but the actual body of the org. And so I was a little nervous about that. And I thought, I don't know if they're going to go for this. We had the meeting and it went really well. They were asking good questions. They were really supportive of things that we wanted to do. They seemed excited about it. And I was just like, wow, this is awesome. That went so much better than I thought it would. And then they recommended a couple of things they wanted us to, to tweak and change and add. And those all sounded reasonable. So we were working on getting it ready to present to the rest of the board so we could proceed with the process of getting these bylaws in place. And all of a sudden, really literally, it felt like it was out of nowhere. We got an email from the president, who was not Scott, um, who said effective immediately, the board is disbanded. And... That was the first time that I really started to feel like they don't actually want the members involved in decision-making. Now, I want to be clear. This is my experience. I can't speak for what was actually going on in anybody else's mind. I can't speak for what their intentions were. But that was what I felt, was that they don't actually want the members to be involved. They wanted to go in a completely different direction that actually didn't have a board at all. And I was really disturbed by that. I really, uh, I was sad. I was disappointed, but I was also pretty mad about that. And I actually considered resigning right then and there. But eventually I had a conversation with Scott that convinced me that, you know, he, he understood he had made some mistakes and he was trying to course correct and uh eventually that course correction led to the creation of a new board of directors that i was invited to not be part of um and i kept sticking like this is the thing and this is i guess why i wanted to talk about this even though a lot of people listening don't even know anything about any of this just crap um but I was looking at a lot of the comments that were happening on film Twitter this week as a result of this Hollywood Reporter article. And there was a lot of like, this whole organization is a joke and anybody who's in this organization is stupid and stuff like that. And so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit as far as the organization as a whole is not a joke. Um, a lot of the members in it are good, talented, hardworking people who actually do want to achieve the goals that this thing is supposed to be about you know and we really had a lot of hopes and in the the hollywood reporter article scott's trying to claim and he's been trying to claim this for the last three weeks that the questions that were initially raised by one of the members were it's the first time anybody had ever asked that which is definitely not true because i was asking those questions for two years you know we were asking for more transparency we were asking for more participation and all these things and I guess that's just what I want people to understand is that this is an organization led by a guy who just has a stranglehold on, on, in my experience, in my view, what I feel like is happening is he just has a stranglehold on the control and the decision making, and he will not let go of that. And 
but he you have these conversations with him where he sounds like he hears you and he wants you to be part of it and he wants to listen to what you're doing and he wants to make these changes and it's very easy to get caught up in that and to believe him because you want to believe it you know and and so it's just it it becomes this was not an abusive relationship i'm not trying to say that but there are definitely similar patterns there where it's like you hear these promises to change this commitment this like i'm gonna do better and you go along with it you believe it because you want to and ultimately there comes a point where either things do change or you accept that they're never going to and you have to walk away and that's the decision that i had to make this week i mean i i it, it's interesting i think it's it's been interesting being you know a per, i'm a person on the outside of this obviously i have no connection to this organization whatsoever i have had no i i've had no real exchanges with anyone um with any you know i i think that i argued with scott at some point on twitter and called him an idiot probably but... multiple times <laughs> there's so many scots on film twitter though are you sure it was the right one well i uh, honestly like even just reading the thr article i was just like everybody no more scots there will be no more because not only do we have like scott menzel and scott mance but the articles started it yeah the articles written by scott feinberg and i'm just like okay no more scots in film criticism you're not allowed we are putting a moratorium on scott and matt those two done like no more because yep. it's just too confusing exactly. um <laughs> but but yeah so so being um outside of it i think one of one of the things that bothered me a little bit and i don't know whether you want to speak to this necessarily but one of the things that bothered me both in the statements that that scott menzel was making in thr and in the kind of defense that he made both on Twitter that the HCA made on their Twitter account and that some of the members did is this whole question of diversity and that this is a diverse organization, that that this is about being diverse. And what it begins to sound like, particularly when you've got a a white man as kind of the, the, the person who is running the organization, right? Mm. Um, one of the things that it begins to sound like is it it honestly to me it began to sound like he's hiding behind it he's using this notion of diverse film criticism and, and that might be one of the goals that he had for the organization i'm not saying that that was like um that you know he wasn't honest about that but it begins to sound like well you can't criticize me because i am the defender of diversity um this is about a diverse organization and and it it begins to sound like that he's using the organ the organization's project of bringing in more small you know critics from from smaller um from smaller websites uh more diverse critics women people of color etc and kind of using them as a wedge to protect himself and that's really what a lot of the commentary sounded like it sounded way too much like what i've heard from a number of of white men who are kind of like well i i speak for the diverse people and it's just like, but you don't, you're a white dude. Like you, that's not what you are. And and so now we've got this very kind of ugly thing that is going on that the people who are going to be hurt by this, by the the lack of legitimacy possibly of um of that organ of the organization, et cetera, or the people who have to leave or the people who want to stay, the people who are going to be hurt ultimately are going to be those small critics 
um, those yeah. diverse critics. They're the people that are going to be damaged by it because now they have a choice between, well, I have this organization that was giving me access in a way that or other organizations would not, simply because I couldn't get in, right? Um, I have this organization that was giving me access, and now I either have to decide to leave it or I have to decide to stick it out and see if it survives, basically. But it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. That was just my impression of um, what I was seeing going on, both within the THR article and and the things that people were saying on Twitter, because people took people chose upsides pretty quickly, yeah, um, which they is definitely pretty, did. pretty common. But definitely the some of the tone of of the things that people were saying, particularly the people who our diverse film critics, right, was that, well, we have to protect this organization because this has given so much, so many of us access. And it's like, this is what's really distressing about this. Um, yeah. It is given people access that should have access, but it's mm -hmm. doing it in this really obviously not great way. And, you know, there, there's all question, there are questions in the article about misappropriation of funds. I mean, that's one of the things that is being said. Um, I, again, whether or not that is true, what is actually going on there is, is a question, Menzel is denying it, et cetera. But those are like actual conversations that are being had. And that damages the legitimacy of the organization, regardless of what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm going to try to go through some of the things that you just said because there was a lot sorry and I had to, no 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 that's okay um that's why I wanted to talk this out because I feel like um different different experiences and different perspectives need to be out there and yeah. so far it's been very limited because most of us have been afraid to like put anything in writing especially like for me and the reason I went to my brother and asked him like what can I say is because like maybe this is going to sound weird and silly but in the aftermath of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing and the fact that she was she was also like it was considered that she was telling the truth but she wasn't allowed to talk about it is like kind of what that decision feels like so uh -huh. you know am you know how much am i allowed to say about this stuff and and so as far as the diversity goes i do have to be careful how i say this because there are things i know that i cannot say publicly right now um but you are very astute in your observations <laughs> um Again, I am basing my observations entirely on what is going on publicly on Twitter and, and right. in these articles, et cetera. I'm not basing this on any other knowledge that I have. Right. I yeah. have and none. I am not involved in this. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, and and this is where it's like, as a woman who grew up not thinking that women really got to be film critics most of the time, um, getting into a film critics organization was really exciting and now i'm into one of them is specifically for women in, in film criticism but ironically but um well now i'm in one i guess because i quit the other one but uh, anyway um i just yeah the diversity aspect um it's been it's been uh, hard for me to watch some of the defense um particularly of of scott menzel because of things that i think man if these ladies it's a few women that are currently in the org and that are actually on the board um they were upset that they weren't talked to for the 
thr article which it's like why would they they have the main guy why would they go to you know other people when this whole thing nobody's accusing him of not actually being diverse it is a diverse organization you look at the list of members and it's like wow yeah there's lots of people of color it's almost 50 50 men and women you know like it's a there's there's you know representation from the lgbtq community it is a diverse organization but that is um that is very easy to achieve if you're just looking at numbers. If you're actually trying to help create opportunities for people and help grow and foster careers, then that becomes a an entirely different conversation. And also, if you are using those statistics uh, to promote other things that are for your own benefit, then that is a problem and so some of the stuff mm -hmm. that i saw some of the defense that i saw this week i was just like oh man if these ladies knew what i know they would not be having these conversations but i'm also not in a position where i can share that with them because i don't like at this point i don't know who i can trust you know i don't know who i can mm -hmm. trust to actually like believe it and listen and not cause a bunch of extra problems so it's like, well, they're just going to have to find this stuff out for themselves the same way that I did, you know? Well, I mean, so, uh, so much of it feels like, um, and, you know, and just, just to spin this out in terms of the relationship to the wider world, not just this organization, mm -hmm. but so much of it just feels like that it's so often what happens when it's, it's a, like I say, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of a situation totally. where you have a white man who has an in, right? Has his foot in the door and is mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to hold the door open for all of these other people to come in, right? right? Which you're, you're like, yes, yeah, someone who has his foot in the door, a, a white guy who is an ally, who is actually, you know, present and is actually going to support us. Which you is actually what we say allies should be doing. Yeah, is, ex yeah no, exactly. Like and so you want to believe that you want to be like, yes, he, he's done it. And then essentially it is, it's so easy for bad actors basically mm -hmm. to either kind of get thoughts beyond themselves or, or to begin to view themselves as some kind of white savior uh superhero at some level like of just kind of like well i it's that it's that whole thing i'm the defender of diversity and it's just like i i can and you know we see it in in all kinds of of things where white men speak over the concerns of of everybody else basically yeah. um and say like well i'm representative of this it's just like no you're literally not um right. so the whole point with that holding the door open is not that you decide who gets to come in and who doesn't and you get to slam the door in someone's face you are letting everybody in you are letting everyone kind of come in and you're letting them speak for themselves yeah and and then it, it turns into the situation basically where people for for good or ill feel that they need to defend that person when it becomes more and more apparent that maybe he's not as as great as everybody thought he was yeah one of the other tricky things and one of the very smart things that he has done with this organization is because he's always said i want to put members front and center and that's this is part of and i i'm not going to say that he's this mastermind that has has this like long game and this is part of that i'm not saying that but because i don't know 
what he's really trying to accomplish and maybe this part really was coming from a sincere place but it's hard to trust anything you know at this point um especially with his intentions um but one of the things that he has done from the beginning is have members presenting awards at the award shows and this is where because uh, there are, there have been a lot of members of HCA that are members of Critics Choice Association, Gallica, um, all kinds of other you know Hollywood Foreign Press. Um, so it's not like the entire organization is people who are not in other organizations. It's not like the people benefiting from being in HCA don't have even better opportunities and more access from other associations that they're involved in. But one of the things that he does is he lets the members go out on a stage and present awards. And like my first award show as part of HCA, I got to present best screenwriting to Taika Waititi, who showed up to accept it. And so it's like, that's a really intoxicating thing, you know? And, and it's like, it's part of what really makes you feel like, yeah, he cares about this experience for the members, but it's also part of like, okay, this is something he can, he can give, like this is access he can give people that they can't get by being a member of BAFTA or the TV Critics Association or Critics Choice or any of those other ones, because those other shows, like you're not going to see some rando writing for Variety presenting an award at the Emmys. That's not going to happen. And no, the people that write it for variety are not randos, but you know what I mean. Um, and and so that's part of where it's like he he kind of and again, I'm not saying that this is like some sort of mastermind plot type of thing, but this is the kind of things that he does that helps him centralize power and control because he gives people things that they literally cannot get, experiences that they will not ever be able to get anywhere else. It's uh I mean, yeah, it's all pretty ugly as far as I can tell. And um, yeah, well, and like you mentioned, there's, you know, financial stuff that is a question and that a lot of us have been asking about for a while, even though he tries to claim that no one ever has. Um, There's the vote manipulation that he admitted to on the record. So (laughs) uh, there's other things. And yeah, so it's like, like I said, I have to be careful what I say here, but I'm also open to questions. So if anybody does want to know some more, uh, I'm still probably going to be careful if I'm, if I'm in an email exchange with you back and forth, I'm still going to be careful what I put in writing. But um, if anybody does have questions about it, you're more than welcome to ask and I will answer what I feel like I can. And uh, we didn't want to put out a call for questions ahead of time on this subject because I didn't want to get bombarded with a bunch of crap from uh loyal people in hca but um if you do have questions that i feel comfortable asking like or answering in this forum then i'll happily get to those next week as well so yeah so so if you do have questions um you know definitely get in touch with us on twitter or on uh you know on email etc if you know you want karen to answer something uh on the podcast or or elsewhere i mean like i said we're going to link the thr article so you can kind of read the entire rundown and everything including the stuff about the financials and the questions about vote manipulation things like that and it's um 
As someone from the outside, it seems pretty damning to me. I mean, just that's just the observation I can make. So there's things are always more complicated than they might appear sometimes. But (laughs) yeah, well, and I just want to reiterate one last time before we move on that. Uh, please, if you have been immersed in this in the film Twitter world, please do not go after individual members of this organization because a lot of people and we still like right now they took down the membership page. So we have no idea who how many people have actually quit in the last three weeks mm-hmm. since this all started. Um, yeah, I got a text message from a friend on Tuesday when this article broke wanting to know why it was the first time he had heard that the president had resigned because she resigned the day after this whole mess started and they still well as of tuesday because i'm sure i'm off the email list now um as of tuesday they still had not told the membership we had no idea i found out the week before because i happened to have her phone number and i was like it's weird that we haven't heard from her and i finally just reached out to say hey are you okay and then we had a whole conversation and that was how I found out that she had quit like two weeks into this whole thing. Jesus. Yeah. And so it's like, then I have people like, what do you mean she quit? And I'm like, mm, yeah, you shouldn't have had to find that out in the Hollywood reporter, but there it is. And so anyway, so that's the thing, like, don't go after individual members. We don't know who's, who has actually quit and who is still there. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why people are still sticking around through all of this and waiting for the dust to settle. So um, really, it's okay to criticize the organization, but just be respectful of people that are not necessarily in the leadership role. I, I, I think that put the blame where the blame belongs um, mm-hmm. if you're going to criticize the organization. I think that that's what it comes down to. And I it mean, does really, not... it's, it's Scott Menzel yeah. is, is the head of it, and he's always made sure that he is ultimately the only one with any real authority there. His <laughs> so wife's that... probably going to get mad at me for saying that. but That has a double-edged sword. That's a double-edged sword, too. If you are the only one with any authority. Mm-hmm um so so yes i mean we we might talk a bit more about this depending upon what happens or karen feels she has something else to say etc but definitely send us questions clarify, sorry i want to clarify uh in my experience when i was in the board he was the only one that had any authority of <laughs> anything i don't know what's happened with the new board maybe they all do get to have a say in everything i don't know because i'm not there being very careful here yes um which you know i i totally appreciate i understand why you would be i i have i get to be less careful because i'm just like i'm just reading articles i'm just reading (laughs) articles i'm just like i have i well i've got feelings but uh uh, i speaking of film critics i i wanted to to talk really (laughs) briefly about this and i don't want to spend too much time on this because in some ways it's it's like well this is just bullshit and i wish the people wouldn't do this but um but recently a a critic i guess he he writes a hollywood blog for bloomberg um posted a a a newsletter that was discussing how uh film critics and film fans have kind of diverged in their opinions over the past 20 years and this i again i will link i will link the the article the tweets etc i i think you can definitely like have access to his tweets i'm not certain about the newsletter itself um uh to to kind of show what he was up to but one of the things that that bothered me about this and this is an argument that we have heard a lot and i think that that's why this particular thing got me a little bit 
because the argument that we've heard a lot is that you know critics are out of touch, um, critics don't don't know what people like, uh, film fans like this, film critics like that. You know, it's all of those accusations in a lot of ways about um, uh, intellectual snobbery and things like that. But even just so, he uses statistics, right? He uses statistics coming from Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, IMDb. Um, et cetera, to kind of show where these opinions are diverging. One of the things just in looking at this that really bugged me is that his starting point is, oh, it's he's talking about over the past 20 years. So his starting point is the year 2000. The end point is 2022. And what he's hmm. arguing is that these things have diverged. And if you look at his, his graphs, you're just like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then I was just like, well, wait a minute. Did Rotten Tomatoes even exist in 2000? I don't I don't think that it did. I don't know when Rotten Tomatoes actually became a thing, but I do know that it was only within the past couple of years that more critics of more more diverse critics had been allowed to be listed on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's only been in the past couple of years that I have been allowed to have my reviews up on Rotten Tomatoes. 1998 is when the company was launched by three undergraduates. So in 2000, the Rotten Tomatoes is two years old. And I am telling you right now, in the year 2000, I don't know how many of you are like Zoomers or whatever. I'm telling you right now that in the year 2000, nobody talked about Rotten Tomatoes as like no. a thing. <laughs> um, this was not the go-to spot to figure out, you know, what, what film you should watch or anything like that. Um, IMDb, probably a little bit longer, but again, I, IMDb for a very long time was, and still, is, is has been known for kind of as kind of like a haven for trolls. So ratings on IMDb mean absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so one of the things that really bothered me here was this kind of treating film criticism as an algorithm. And this has always been the problem with things like Rotten Tomatoes and, and Metacritic, but treating film criticism as an algorithm that you can decide this is good, this is bad, and that's what the critics are saying. Whereas criticism and, and you know, to a greater extent, scholarship, discussion of film, is not about this is a good movie, this is a bad movie, as much as the algorithm wants to make it like that. Um, it's about this is what I brought, this is what I took away from the film. This is what you took away from the film. Let's have a dialogue about it. So this whole idea that like the opinions have diverged in some way is one, not true, um, because because it's based on very faulty analysis of very faulty statistics. And two is, is a prizing prizing white male perspectives over all else because for a very long time as we were just discussing white men still dominate film criticism um so you're still and amazingly enough white men do not dominate film viewing everybody goes to the movies (laughs) what since when everybody watches movies so i answer by the way is like since 1895 (laughs) so you know i guarantee you that my neighbor watches movies as as do i we are not the same person we are not the same gender. We are not the same ethnic identity. Um, he might really love, you know, like birds of prey. So do I. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, neither of us are white men, by the way. Oh, well, there you go. Um, 
that's the thing though it's like and in looking at this article too or this newsletter or whatever um he does acknowledge that there are things like review bombing which is a phenomenon where people go oh that movie has a female lead let's ruin it before we've even seen it like rotten tomatoes had had to create a block so that you cannot you just average users cannot review movies that haven't been released yet because these movies were coming out like opening day they had a neg you know like three percent user rating because so many people had given it terrible you know given it rottens before it even before they even saw it um because they just wanted to destroy movies that you know have you know not white male mm-hmm. leads yeah and those and, are the pe- those are the people that are most likely to jump on to the user reviews etc exactly. it was the same problem it was the same problem that imdb had and why pretty much no one trusts the imdb ratings anymore because exactly. it's trolls right it's just like and and it beca- it turns into this political um reactionary thing right and so the article does discuss that but when you're just looking at like if you're on twitter and you're just looking through this series of like all these charts and stuff and it's like oh yeah look at the disparity here and it's like okay but we need to really dig it and this is part of the problem with rotten tomatoes in the first place is like people just look at that score and they go oh wow this movie has a 92 percent on rotten tomatoes this is an a movie and it's like no it can still be a c movie it just means that 92 percent of the critics that reviewed it at least thought it was worth watching doesn't mean they all thought it was an amazing movie and that's the problem and so it's like really nobody's looking at the aggregate score they're just looking at um or like the average you know actual rating of the movie they're just looking at like how many positive reviews do they get versus how many negative mm-hmm. and so it's it's this is the problem though is when you have these types of situations or you have snapshots of graphs and things you're not digging into the reasons and most people don't take the time to actually look at what's going on underneath and what those numbers really represent. Well, it's this, it's this whole idea that critics are in some way out of touch with the yeah. real moviegoer. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, who do you think critics are, first of all? First of all, Crit- we see more movies than anybody. Yeah, critics go to movies. Like, that's one of the things that they do. <laughs> Yeah. So they and, and they are we fans. We do it because we like them. We do not go into film criticism because we hate movies and want them to die. Yeah, and there are fans. There are people who are fans of things that watch movies and and are critics, right? So we talked about the issue of being a, a fan or an influencer versus being a um being a film critic. Right. And how that can be very difficult. But even so, most critics are fans of something. Most critics are fans of things. <laughs> You know, like, I love horror movies. I, you know, I I hate Ari Aster's films, so I'm probably going to give a much lower rating to an Ari Aster film. I'm still going to go in and be like, I'm going to try to analyze this and understand it um, f- from as, as non-biased perspective as I can. But I just don't like his movies a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, that's part of being a film critic. So you have an opinion. Um. So yeah, so this this kind of thing really, really does bother me. And and like I say, it's not unusual. One of the other things that I really disliked was that he just he was just saying least favorite, most hated, things that they loved. You're just like, you're literally talking about you're trying to impose statistics on human emotions, right? I loved this movie. I hated this movie. There are honestly, there are very few movies that I love, and there are very few movies that I hate. 
Um, they're for the most part, and I think that this is probably true for most actual critics. Um, what you like is a mix of things. And sometimes, you know, and we're going to talk about a couple of movies that I have mixed feelings about. Um, but this, this, that's what part of being a film critic is I can come out of something and be like, you know what? I really enjoyed this, but it's a fucking mess. You know, yeah. would I give this a rotten on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, maybe not, but I'm not going to say that this is a great film particularly, but that that's the thing. There's, there are variations between loved and hated and you can't impose data on top of that yeah there's so many movies that i really like that are not good movies and i would never tell people like yes this is a great movie you should watch it i'll tell them i enjoy this movie you should check it out but like i can i can look at and and art cannot be measured objectively i'm not saying that but there are movies where i look at it and i'm like the story is problematic the acting is not great you know there's all these problems with it but I still really enjoy watching it. And that's that's okay. But when I write about it, am I gonna just say, like, oh, this is fun? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna really analyze it. I'm gonna break it down. I'm gonna talk about the themes and and all that kind of stuff. And then ultimately what the result is gonna be is probably a review that makes it look like I just trashed that movie, even though I enjoyed it. Because I'm yep. a critic and I'm a professional. <laughs> Riven has lots of opinions on this. All right. So moving on. Yeah. <laughs> moving, moving on from that, I just want to mention really quickly because we were talking about Shia LaBeouf and um and the Olivia, the Shia LaBeouf Olivia Wilde conflict um uh last week. And I just wanted to, to mention that, that Shia... I, I called it and I'm very correct about things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shia, Shia LaBeouf has been doing his um I he's been doing his tour? his redemption tour oh, or something like that. Sorry, hold on, we're having an earthquake. That was a nice little jolt. My God. Okay, I think we're. I think I think we're good. We'll just keep going. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave that in. That was surprising. <laughs> so hold on, we're having an earthquake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. So so Shia LaBeouf is is going on his redemption tour i guess it's quite a redemption tour where you basically admit to all that all of the the stories about you are true and then it's all bullshit um <laughs> but so so he re he recently came out saying that by the way all of the stuff in in honey boy about his dad abusing him and like being physically violent etc is bullshit and that it was incorrect and that he did like he basically wronged his father in putting that into um the script and and the, the the whole thing just makes me go like why is anyone at any point listening to this man about anything when he's literally admitting that this this thing that he, like he became kind of the darling um before all of this stuff came out about fka twigs he became sort of the darling of the indie film circuit he became like this like oh he hasn't he overcome so much um, all of this and he's basically saying oh by the way that was all fiction that was all bullshit I was lying mm -hmm. and Which, sorry no go on well I was just gonna say this is the part where I was just like oh look at that this is what I was like I felt like I totally called this because last week when we were talking about 
this whole beef with him and and Olivia Wilde, which she hasn't really responded much to. So I don't really know that we can call it a beef. She's doing what you need to do in these situations and just letting it play out. Um, But yeah, he sent her an email saying all kinds of stuff about how like, you know, that's not true. And then she didn't respond to that. So it's like, you can say anything you want in an email. Doesn't make it true. And now here he is admitting that he wrote an entire movie that is all lies and he's playing his dad who's supposedly abusive and now he's like um yeah by the way so yeah you don't yeah. trust him just because you wrote it down it, it, yeah exactly um and you know we talked about this last week so we won't go back into it and everything but i i'm just really horrified at the i'm horrified at the way people have so immediately accepted his account of things yeah. and um and and it's a good point that you make that a wild hasn't really responded to any of this um, as far as I know, neither is Florence Pugh. Like none of right. this has none of this has been publicly discussed. Um, it's really just been Shia LaBeouf, and LaBeouf is quite obviously going on his redemption tour. He's been cast in Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Mega Megalop Megalopolis Me- mm-hmm. Megapolis. Something I don't like know that. Megalopolis. I think Megalopolis. <laughs> I think there's which, a couple of L's in there, <laughs> which you know I doubt is ever actually going to be made because. Coppola doesn't make movies anymore. Um, but but you know, yeah, he's he's going on this redemption tour. He's trying to resuscitate his career and it's working, and people are just buying it because they don't like Olivia Wilde. It's like, you know, you can hate Olivia Wilde. I really don't give a shit, but don't decide that like an abusive man is the one in the right here, especially when he's literally constantly outing himself as a liar. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and and then it's been frustrating too and i know we talked about this a little bit last week but just watching as this story has continued to unfold everyone's just so suddenly not everyone a lot of people suddenly are so invested in wanting to see him turn this around and wanting to see him come back and they keep doing what we already talked about last week as far as like well you know but it's it's olivia is the problem in this situation it's not shia even though like we understand he's abusive but look he can change and that's where it's like no just sure yeah i believe that he can i believe that people can change i believe they usually don't but i believe that they can that doesn't mean that they get to come back in to the place where they Mm -hmm. caused so many problems and hurt so many people yeah exactly um and and some like the under the undercurrent of a lot of this really i mean it's misogyny um some of the hate that's being directed at olivia wilde is is just misogynist yeah and it's it's snarky sexism basically like again you don't have to like her you do not have to like her films but the the nastiness and the glee with which certain people are uh are going after her particularly is is very disturbing and you know, we've talked about the Amber Heard stuff. I, I really do think that we are continuing to repeat those sorts of errors and people are just not seeing it. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate, too, and this is something else we said last week, and it's still true. I do not have an opinion about Olivia Wilde as a person. I don't know her. I've never met her. Um, I don't have an opinion about her. She could be really awful. I don't know. But that's beside the point. It's irrelevant to this situation and to my opinions about this particular circumstance. Uh, so before we go into happier stuff, um, cause I, I do want to talk about Elvis and, and, uh, some other films that we've been watching, um, I did want to mention, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, but it's, it's, we've already been, been through some heavy shit. 
Um, but we did want to mention the Tiffany Haddish allegations. Her and her, um, is he her younger brother? The the accusers? No. Our, for some reason, I thought that Ari Spears was oh, related to Haddish, but I'm, I I'm might be incorrect about that. I thought they just were like friends that met on the the comedy circuit i i might have just been confused by the wording of the article any anyways yes uh so tiffany haddish and ari spears have been incredibly accused of um sexually abusing children uh particularly a a woman who right now is being listed as jane doe and her younger brother uh who there's there's a long daily beast article that is very disturbing but i think is is very much worth reading um and it, it the the complaint which has been filed uh, centers on two alleged incidents in which Haddish and Spears encouraged one of the siblings to perform sexually suggestive acts on camera while underage. The rest of the article goes into details about this. Again, if if you're bothered by this, if you're triggered by this, this is you know they are fairly explicit. Um, we probably are going to talk about this a little bit more as as things begin to game. But we I did want to mention it, and we wanted to mention the fact that. These are pretty credible accusations against um, against Haddish and Spears, and they're denying it. Tiffany Haddish is denying it, but um, there's there seems to be video evidence. Yeah, some of this has been backed up by third parties. Who yeah, weren't necessarily witness to what happened, but they saw the videos and can corroborate that they exist. So, so it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's disturbing. Um, you know, like I said, maybe we'll get into it a little bit more next week when probably more information will come out, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's another one of those. And like, yeah, we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this right now because, well, I, I when I saw the article, I was just like, oh, I already want to talk about the HCA stuff. This is going to be a real bummer of an episode. <laughs> um and i just i just want people to know that we're not not talking about it now because it's like oh well we want to just women aren't abusers because we know that they can be um it's not that we're not trying to avoid this it's just i just can't talk about it right now (laughs) especially because i really like tiffany at it yeah it's this is like a huge bummer it's aside from what it did to these two kids like this is a big fat bummer yeah it's it's always it's t- I mean, we've talked about this so much about the pe- the people that we like, the actors that we like, et cetera, um, being pieces of shit. And that's really yeah. hard to deal with. Uh, you know, that is not as hard as being an actual victim. Um, and of course, the you should we should always believe victims. We should always believe uh, what people say, especially when there's there's quite obviously evidence on this one um but yeah it's it's sad and it's like i really wish that you were not a terrible person (laughs) yeah so let's close stuff out with talking about some fun things please let's (laughs) i think that we should talk about some fun things so i i mentioned that i've been watching um some entertaining films actually in the past two days uh so what let's talk about elvis i want to talk about elvis for a minute (laughs) uh elvis which i is have the... been waiting to talk about elvis <laughs> since june i'm so excited <laughs> uh which this is the baz lerman film obviously it came out in june it is now on um hbo max so you can watch it uh if you have an hbo max subscription or i believe it's also available to rent uh etc on various platforms so it's definitely a movie 
Like I, such a movie. I, I was saying to to some people the other uh, last night actually, just like it's the moviest movie I have seen in a while. Um, That's what Baz Luhrmann does. <laughs> it stars, uh, it's directed by Baz Luhrmann. It stars Austin Butler as as the king of rock and roll himself, and Tom Hanks as his manager, uh, and also the narrator of the film, which I didn't realize until I actually started it. Um, Colonel Tom Parker, and it is. I, I've said to a number of people, it is exactly what you would expect from a Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie. Uh, it's very fast cuts, almost parodic in places. Like there were some times where I was just like, is this, is he being kind of serious or is he not being serious at all? Is this meant to be funny? I don't know. Um, but very much maximalist cinema. Uh, a lot of, you know, building up of emotions and and one of the things that i actually liked about it is that this is not a biopic and uh it's not really purporting to tell the true story of who elvis presley was but in some ways it's telling the true story about who elvis presley's celebrity was and what his persona was and why he was such a dynamic and 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 remarkably influential um performer and an artist and this then all being filtered through supposedly the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker, who is a terrible human being um, and is presented as being a terrible human being, but probably had, you know, the closest relationship to Elvis of, of pretty much anyone, certainly the closest business relationship and has this almost in the film has this like proprietary power over Elvis Um it's a really fascinating film. I enjoyed the crap out of it. Like I was saying earlier, I really enjoyed it. It's a mess. Uh, in some ways, it's all, it, there are places where it's almost incoherent. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm meant to take away from this. But I am enjoying the crap out of it. It really gets at the energy of, of Elvis's performances and of Elvis's persona. It really gets at the influence um, that he had on American pop culture and on American culture you know, for good or ill or for positive and negative, but it's it's very much uh, a film about how we understand Elvis, I guess. So yeah. what do you have to say about it, Karen? So um, I knew how you felt about William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Um, so I was a I terrible didn't know. movie. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I didn't know in general how you felt about Baz Luhrmann films. So I just, I don't know. I just kind of thought you were going to hate this movie. And when you said you loved it or you kind of maybe loved it, I was just like so happy. because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this movie too. I was really surprised by it. I was nervous. I love Baz Luhrmann. I am one of the few people of the opinion that he has not actually made a bad movie um, ever. But I was still nervous about it because this is Elvis, you know, and then I'd heard the story that like, oh, yeah, the Elvis estate, Priscilla and Lisa Marie signed off on this movie. And I was just like, oh, that's going to that's that's going to be bad then. This is, you know, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody ran into that problem of like, Mm -hmm. you know, putting everything on Freddie and making Brian May and the others just look like, you know, whatever. Um and so I was I was skeptical. But once I started watching it, like very quickly, you realize this is not like you said, this is not an, a biopic about Elvis Presley. This is a movie about the spectacle of Elvis Presley. And really, it's 
it's really the story of the man who made him and destroyed him and um and the whole thing being filtered through his voice and through his experience makes this a much different film than i was expecting it to be and that was a good thing um it is it's crazy it's chaotic it's all the things that you expect from baz and i just i think that it worked so so well i know a lot of people have been mocking tom hanks and the makeup and the prosthetics and everything and his voice i thought it was a great performance i thought austin butler was amazing yeah elvis um just all around i thought the casting was great and it was just it's just a fun movie to watch and listening to austin like he sang most of the songs there is a so at the end when he's doing um unchained Unchained melody yes yes when he's doing that it does transition into that is actually elvis singing that is a, a recording of him um but they do that transition so seamlessly that it's like it's just it's just amazing like that mm-hmm. that was that was fantastic work and then just everything about this is just it's fun it's entertaining and yeah i just i love this movie and i was really excited that you liked it too <laughs> yeah i i did well in terms of tom hanks um i i don't know honestly i have no idea i think that i think that actually initially the introduction of the character i'm like this is really jarring yeah Um, but as the film goes on i think because it's an almost cartoony it's it's a maximalist world like i say it's Mm -hmm. an almost cartoony world where none of this is you can't like i say it's it's getting into or like you said the, the the spectacle of elvis the celebrity of elvis um the energy around him so it's more like trying to embed the viewer in that than it is to embed them in any kind of reality right sure yeah um and so i think at that level then tom hanks's performance does work at the same time he's almost a cartoon villain but that i think that that is a good move because of the fact that we're hearing this whole thing through his his experience and he's not quite an unreliable narrator because he's telling us what's what but that's the clue to the audience of like yeah this guy can't be trusted because he is that like mustache twirling villain he is the big obnoxious guy and that's so the audience understands like yeah he's telling you the truth but that doesn't mean you should trust him he he's telling his truth right 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 right, right, right. this is what he believes is the truth so he he is unreliable in the sense that you shouldn't believe what he's saying but also yeah he you you should i i I think actually you shouldn't believe him but it's easy to believe him because he believes it yeah exactly he believes that he's telling us the truth um yeah, I, I did think that Austin Butler was fantastic. There, there are a number of places actually where I think with like art, they use archival footage where you get like little snippets of act of the actual Elvis mm-hmm. superimposed over Butler, and so you get this really sort of interesting transition where he's kind of becoming Elvis or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's worth it. You know, it is over long in my opinion. There was a certain point where I was like, "How is there another hour left of this movie?" <laughs> um, but it, it does immerse you in that world and it's a bizarre world. So this this is one of those where I'm like, look, if you like Baz Luhrmann's films, you're going to love it. If you hate Baz Luhrmann's films, you are not going to love it. You're yeah, going to hate it. For you. <laughs> um, yeah. So and definitely, like, this is where I say like people going into this that didn't like it, either it's because they didn't like Baz Luhrmann or because this was not the movie that they thought that they were getting. Because like it talks about Elvis spending a lot of time 
in in Memphis, in, you know, among the the jazz musicians, among the black community in Memphis and stuff. And it doesn't really get into like some of the political yeah. um, issues there and and also some of the exploitation issues there mm-hmm. as well. It doesn't get into that, but that's because that's not the story that they're trying to tell. Not that that's not a story worth telling. It is, but that would be for a different movie. Yeah, I in in some ways I wish that that the film had been able to deal with with that tension um, of Elvis being a a white man performing songs written and originally performed by black artists, right. uh, which then he just. I mean, basically the, what the film depicts at least is that he just lifts those songs oh, yeah. and yeah. plays them and is acceptable because he kind of puts a more countryfied spin on it and, and is a white guy. Uh, the One of the weirdest and the shot that people keep on talking about, one of the weirdest moments in the entire film is where uh, it's Cody Smith McGee who plays, <laughs> who plays the, the son of a country singer and like is playing Elvis's record of um, that's all right, mama. Yeah. And, and there's like this zoom in to his face and he's white and, it's like, and everyone's like oh my god what he's white like they and they keep on going about it. it's just like i don't know how to what to make of this like i have no clue what the what the goal is here like what is what is the goal baz can you explain it to me or something because i don't know how to feel about this scene <laughs> Um, yeah. Although it does, it does reinforce the fact that you know, and, and and at least part of the early part of the film is about you know this this whole idea of Elvis being dangerous, right? Elvis bringing these dangerous sounds to the the white youth of America and everything. And I do wish that there, I think that there is a movie to be made, particularly about those early years mm-hmm. yeah. and that tension, like before Elvis became a real superstar. But um, but yeah, that that tension and that question of of appropriation, et cetera, where you've got all these. And and I mean, the film even depicts Little Richard and B.B. King um, oh, yeah. and uh, Big Mama, um, Big Mama Thornton and Rosetta Tharp. And and so you get those those artists who became great and popular artists in their own right but didn't have the access to the fame and the fortune that Elvis did because they, because they were black. Yeah. So I, I agree with you that that scene is funny and the memes are funny, but to me, when I was watching it, the, what was being driven home in that moment was like, this is catchy music. People like it. But for Colonel Tom, when he's just like, wait a second, the kid doing this is white. That means I can market this. Sure. That means I can make money off of this. And mm-hmm. to me, that was the point of that. Pe- people will buy it because he's white. White people right. will buy it because mm-hmm. he's white. Exactly. It'll be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but the it other is a silly moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just such a bizarre, bizarre choice. I think it's it's the close-up and the way that the line is delivered and the way that everybody reacts. There is that like just like I don't is this I I mean, it's fun. This is kind of funny, but I don't know if it should be. I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. Right. Um, the other film that I, I just recently saw was Nope. Yay. Uh, which I wanted to mention really quickly, um, which is now, again, available to to rent uh, to early access. So it does cost 20 bucks. I would agree that it is worth it. Um, I This is Jordan Peele's um, latest 
latest film. I'm not certain if I would call it a horror movie. I guess it kind of is. It's uh, a horror movie the way that like Jaws is or Yeah. Um yeah, that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Um so this this is a film that is about uh a brother and a sister who own Haywood's Hollywood horses um and are actually descendants of the first uh the first the first person to ever appear on um, in moving pictures um a black jockey who uh rode a horse in Edward Moybridge's um uh compilation of literally a man riding a horse uh and this is one of the earliest versions of cinema <clears throat> and they own like they are they're animal wranglers in Hollywood, but they're struggling to keep to support their um to continue to support their their horse farm. And then bizarre things begin happening. Uh, I don't want to say much more than that <laughs> because it gets weird because uh, Stephen Yeun is involved and he owns like a old west amusement park the former child star former child star well that's then you got the the chimpanzee is involved um all of that it's a really interesting film i i think that it is i liked it better than us i think it, it pulls off what it's trying to do much better than us does um, but I, I still think that the Get Out really is kind of the pinnacle of of what Peel has done, which isn't to say that like he's not going to be able to top that or something like that. Um, but I, I think that it's the best marriage between theme and execution. And in in Nope, he's really dealing with a lot of very interesting themes. He's dealing with um, with Hollywood history. He is dealing with the history of motion pictures. Um, the history of race in motion pictures and uh, this this whole thing about, like you say, this this Jaws element almost um, yeah. that's about this this conflict between people and other beings. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so what are what are your thoughts about Nope? You got to see this a while ago, I think, because I'm constantly behind. I did. I saw it when it first came out uh, in July. So not that long ago but um it was over the summer and i really liked it too and basically what you just said about it you know it's it's um i really like the way that it does deal with and address racism in hollywood um hollywood history the way that uh child stars become kind of disposable um which isn't a major theme of the movie but it's definitely something that's touched on uh which is interesting because you also have like one of the stars is Kiki Palmer, who was a child star who has managed to, you know, build a good career as an adult too. But um, anyway, I just, I think that, yeah, I liked this better than us as well. I think that us was, we, we were talking about this, you know, off, off mic, but um, I think us worked really well when it was just a horror movie, but when it tried to, um, have a point it kind of falls apart and I think that nope does a much better job when it gets to the point still not quite there I do think that there are some things that it kind of either does a little too much or not enough of and I'm still not even entirely sure which it is um, but I think that as far as like the characters I think the characters are the strongest part and um, their interactions with each other, the relationship between this brother and sister, where you can tell that there's some very difficult current situations happening that never really get explored. We don't learn a lot about some of the specifics of what's happening between them. And 
um, what's going on in their lives outside of this immediate situation, but we get just enough to know that like their, their relationship has been difficult and that feeds into what's going on now and how they're both approaching this situation. And then, um, and I just, I, I think that that's really interesting. And then watching the things with Stephen Young and his family, um, and, just what he's in what he has internalized because of experiences that he had as a child and then continues to have as an adult i just think the characters are really really well developed in this story also you've got this kid that's like basically from the geek squad at best buy but it's not best buy it's fries electronics which is out of business now um <laughs> but uh anyway like just also another interesting character but none of them we don't get tons of details about any of them outside of this situation but we get just enough to really care about them and to root for them and to to be invested in their their story yeah it's it's uh, that's a good point it's really well done um in terms of not i i think that one of the problems with us was actually that it tried to explain itself at the end yeah it tried to kind of be like okay now i'm going to tell you what's going on um and And all that did was open up a whole lot of questions of things that there weren't answers for and that made absolutely no sense yeah and and nope doesn't really do that and and in some ways nope is a more straightforward film in terms of the the monster or whatever Mm -hmm. that that they're dealing with um but nope doesn't like it doesn't sit down and like now we're going to resolve whatever is going on between the brother and sister now we're going to explain the character of the cinematographer um who i loved i was just like he's so great (laughs) yep absolutely that's a that's a that's a cinematographer um but but it didn't it didn't seek to explain everything it didn't even really seek to explain everything about the monster um and and so there was never that point in the film where you feel like okay now we're going to sit you down and we're going to we're going to tell you how to understand this and i think that that's what us tried to do a little bit and where it kind of lost the plot whereas yeah. nope doesn't do that but i mean it quite us quite literally sat us down and explained yeah, it to us it does <laughs> it does yeah that and that was one of the problems i think with us was, was that it needed it needed to let it, it it needed to allow itself to be a little more obscure Mm-hmm. um to not explain everything and in to fact not... i think no i think us would have been better if it hadn't explained anything <laughs> yeah just like here's yeah just show us what's happening and not tell us why it's happening you know or yeah. who or who is doing it etc right. um and and again nope is a very different film obviously yeah. uh i i do i really liked the 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 humor that was in it i liked the little bits i like the fact that um someone pointed out like that steven young's character uh is asked to like talk about his most traumatic event and he winds up describing a saturday night live skit <laughs> yeah and but it's funny like it's it's funny and it's also like this is weird <laughs> Mm-hmm. this is weird but funny and i'm i kind of like that i i loved um daniel kaluuya's performance the few moments where he's just like nope uh-huh. no <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great moment yes yes absolutely. uh and and it's very like it's funny but it's also very human because it's just yeah. like we're not doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> no yeah exactly there's also two i think very good jump scares yes um, but it doesn't try to have a lot of that which is also why those particular ones are so well placed yes yeah it it builds the horror and the tension really well without giving you too much 
like just visual visual horror basically yeah um and 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 i i do have to say and the reason why i don't want to talk too much about the kind of the outcome of it is the direction that it went i did not expect mm-hmm. um but it made sense to the to the rest of the film it didn't feel like this was like a sudden twist that like oh this doesn't this doesn't work or anything it was just like oh I, you're doing something very different than what i thought you were doing um yeah. but i i liked that a lot so totally. so any other films that you wanted to to mention karen before we close things out anything fun you've been watching um so not anything new but i did revisit um mississippi masala this week I was having problems oh. with my internet and couldn't get my Roku to work. So I was like, ah, oh, fine. So I busted out my Blu-rays and DVDs. <laughs> and I just recently bought Mississippi Masala on Criterion because it's out on Criterion now. This is a film from Mira Nair. Um, and it stars Denzel Washington and Sarita Chowdhury. And it's such a good movie. It's um, It's basically... Sarita Chowdhury plays this woman who, as a child, her she grew up, she was born in Uganda. Her her family um was like her father was born in Uganda too. They're Indian, but there was a big Indian population in Uganda. And when a certain regime came in, they basically kicked out everyone who was Asian. And so they lost their land, they lost everything, and they eventually ended up in the United States. And so in this little town in Mississippi, and through a chance encounter she meets Denzel Washington and the two of them fall in love but there's some problems with their relationship and so uh people are not in favor of it and it's a it's a good movie it's a very sweet movie and um I think more people should watch it and I don't know if it's currently on the Criterion channel um I haven't looked but uh, it, if it, it is, was it. it was i don't know if it was one of the films that might have gone off recently it might have yeah i'm not sure but anyway if you get a chance to watch it i highly recommend it it's a good one and it's very early, it's 1990 so it's really young denzel it's really young <laughs> sarita so yeah well that is a good recommendation mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think that that is going to close us out for this this episode we have talked a lot about various things um and and yes and, and as we said karen is open for for questions about the hca stuff uh so just you know if you if you like tweeting at us shooting us dm um send us an email something like that and uh of course you we are on twitter and instagram at citizen dame pod and our email address is citizen at gmail.com as always, we would like to thank our patrons who are lovely people and continue to support us. And we hope to be getting some bonus stuff out to you very soon. Uh, our, and they include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. And if you want to join their ranks, please do. It helps us so much. Um, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash citizen dame. We've got bonus episodes coming out for folks. We've got bonus episodes already up and uh, some fun buttons and stickers and things like that. Um, we also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod, where you can buy fun things. And we have our Ko-Fi, co-fi, co-fi.com slash citizen dame. <laughs> um, 
And as I said, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. And our letterbox is at Citizen Dame. We do have ongoing lists for things that we've recommended, things that we've talked about. And uh, and hopefully some spooky season stuff pretty soon. I want to put up some spooky season lists. Totally. Uh, you can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to y'all later. Bye. Well, you may go to college. You may go to school. You may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you make nobody's room. Looks like they want to... Now, I don't know nothing about music, but I could see in that girl's eyes he was a taste of forbidden fruit. She could have eaten him alive. He was my destiny.